Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Ford and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Hey, welcome to another episode of This Life. Bob Forrest. Here I am. Here we are. I'd like to introduce you all to our latest sponsor. It is the Rocky Mountain Treatment Center there in Montana. And if you've been listening to anything that Bob and I have been talking about over the years, you know that we're very particular about an addiction treatment. We don't uh, take recommendations lightly, so we've looked into these guys pretty carefully. And the Rocky Mountain Treatment Center happens to be one uh, I am able to recommend, and I'm happy to do so. They focus on individualized treatment of the patients, uh, including their entire well-being based on a biopsychosocial model. This is what Bob and I have done for years and years. Uh, they don't just look at addiction. They look at the psychiatric issues, the psychological issues, the trauma issues, all aspects of the physical and mental health. And of course, you've uh, heard me stress the importance of this uh, for long-term success. There's staying sober, but there's what I call real recovery, which is dealing with all the risk factors that set people up for bad addiction. They're in Great Falls, Montana. It's a 26-bed facility surrounded by amazing Montana landscape. Patients can have a range of recreational therapies, including equine therapy. For more information on Rocky Mountain Treatment Center, click on their banner on the thislifepodcast.com website or at drdrew.com or visit their site at rocky.rehab. That is simply R-O-C-K-Y dot rehab. And our special guest today, uh, once she finishes sipping on that water, is the great Jennifer Ketchum. Jenny, how are you? I am doing well, thank you. How are you both doing? I'm good. I, I lived in your apartment. What? I, I lived yeah. in her apartment. I told you that. She was moving out of this really dope apartment where Sam lived when we first got together. I said, oh, let's just get that apartment. Oh, my, I did yeah. not know this. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, did you worked with Jenny on Sober House, right? Yeah, but that was. And, but uh, she was like a counselor by then. Well, I mean, she was just engaged, really. I she mean, was she, better yeah. than the house manager, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jenny always done well. Uh, but tell the story about how you came in wanting to fuck everything up. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think that is really kind of the key is that I definitely didn't intend to do well when I came in. I didn't. I just intended to write penises on the wall with toothpaste and you know. Have sex chaos. with the crew, but that didn't work out so well. <laughs> Oops. Thankfully, <laughs> she said when yeah. she when we ca- caught her attention was by calling her by her her real name, her God given yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really interesting. It's you know it had been like eight years since I had really used the name Jenny, and so but when so, all of so I don't know the industry you were in, but there's a lot of my friends have stage names but everybody calls them by their real names well i think what's even weirder is that most people that have any sort of celebrity have a a name that's not theirs yeah it's so weird yeah yeah 
I think it's like I, I don't know if either of you know anything about the um, the studies on like um, anonymity and how like if if there's police in riot gear, they're more likely to use like extreme violence than if they're not. And yep. so the, this idea that like if we're protected by something, then we're more likely to do things that we otherwise wouldn't. Oh, and that's so, interesting. So it gives you sort of a, a veneer of anonymity. Yeah. So you could yeah. come in as Penny. You could come in and put penises on and have sex with the crew. Yeah. But as yeah. Jenny, you can't. No, 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 no. There and, you go. and as Jenny, I had I had nothing. Well, I, I, I met I Jenny by the time I by the time you were in sober house, you were pretty stable compared to your crew there. Mm-hmm. Staff included. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, rel- relative to uh, the my cohort in the sober house, I think I was definitely stable. And, but... and you'd been working with Reef Kareem by that point, right? We're oh Reef. yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I, I but how long seen... of a gap? Because I'm interested. You know, my thing is the 90 days. The brain actually yeah. starts to semi-function. She's been about three or four months sober, right. right? Yeah. So yeah, I actually so the drug addict. But yeah. yeah, so the drug so addict crew that was coming in with you to Sober House, they were only sober like two weeks. Yeah. So, so it was well, really some, like some treatment. Were, like, using their so. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> yeah. Who was using I forget. Steven. Oh, right, right, right. Right? Well, well, those... Carrie, Carrie Ann, actually, she ended up, I mean, she got the boot, but. Yeah. Carrie Ann was such a frustrating problem because yeah. not only would she, she was so awful when she was on stimulants, but doctors yeah. kept giving her Adderall. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. But but a lot of it, it was Hollywood. I don't know if it was the name so much, but when I went to Oregon to visit Carrie Ann, yeah. she wasn't necessarily sober, but she was much more poised. And weren't, I'm you telling see, you, when she's she off was, the meth and off the Adderall, she's so much better. That's why That's why I would look at myself working with her. I go, why did I have such a, a so ease and, and sort of almost affection for her as a person? I thought, oh, because when she wasn't using she, she I had compassion so for her. So when she was smoking marijuana, she was She was fine. Right. Way better yeah. than, than the meth. Okay. Because yeah. that's what she was doing. Yeah. Good times. So, uh, Jenny, a, a lot of people aren't aware of your... I think the people that saw you on uh, the Sex Rehab and Sober House were aware of the, the, the sexual history, but how about the substance history? Yeah, I mean, the, the substance history for me was pretty substantial. I mean, I started smoking pot when I was, what, I think the first time I smoked pot was 11 or 12, and uh, it, was, it was pretty continuous from there on until I... Well, until I... Uh, entered rehab actually and then you know al- alcohol was a pretty consistent thing in my story and I think the first time I uh, blacked out drinking was when I was 14 and then consistently throughout I just thought that's what you did right when you had a great time you just didn't remember having a great time <laughs> but I mean um, in, that, in your former industry I mean isn't it high it's got to be like 80 percent like I would think um, everyone I've ever it, met it, from that industry is fucked up yeah, I mean, in, in terms of in terms of drug and substance. Yeah, abuse, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's certainly a higher rate of people who are using than say another industry like the banking industry or <laughs> you know, um, I don't know, you know. But um, I, you know, I think I think a lot of it goes back to if if you don't have adequate self care mechanisms and you're entering into that business then you're going to find things that are quick and easy and drugs are generally pretty quick and pretty easy and so um and that it ends anesthetizes up being you it doesn't anesthetize yeah. you from because i because i you know i've been known to watch porn and you can see in people's eyes they're just high out of their minds yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Very, very true. I, sh- I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyways, sure yeah, do. here's here's a good thing for your new career. 
Drew discovered that boys 18, 22, 24, 26 are not engaging in real relationships because they have you porn in their lives. They don't really need a real person. Or they, they at least are retreating to that without sort of navigating the difficulty. They don't have to deal with drama. Yeah, they, they, they call it drama and they, they'll say people are crazy or difficult and they'll just sort of yeah. retreat to the internet human beings. the process addiction. Yeah. What's so amazing about that is that I think I think drama gets confused with like rejection and the potential and like normal human interactions yeah. and ways of like navigating those interactions. Yeah, that's right. They, and, they just retreat uh, from yeah. it. They retreat from it and then don't yeah. develop a, a skill or facility for it. Well, some days you get your needs in a relationship. Some days you get your needs met. Some days you meet somebody's needs and some days it's mutual. But when you're but young boys yeah. don't, yeah. they're not adolescents. They're grown adults. They're 24 years old, Drew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and that's what I, I get angry yeah. about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I we got to stop giving them a pass because they're, you know, no, they, I, I, listen, I call I, it the Kobe Bryant syndrome. Every time he was an asshole, he was like, "Oh, he's only twenty-seven." Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, no, he's a grown yeah. adult. So start acting like one. We need to get back to fundamentals. Yeah. I know that you like psych, but fundamentals are good too. But so, well, Jen, what are you focusing on right now in, in uh, your studies? Right. So I am, I've just finished all of the coursework for my master's in social work, which is super exciting. Um, I am specializing in mindfulness-based and acceptance-based therapies. Yeah. I I really like the portability and the um, widespread applicability for, I think, I think it, mindfulness and acceptance-based therapies really kind of cross um, all cultural lines that that exist in the world right like it's not like you're asking somebody to adopt this way of thinking it's i mean as much as it has uh you know uh religious roots universal yeah what what population do you want to deal with what kind of population Um, so i've i've been doing some work with um people struggling with addictive behaviors and and substance behaviors i'm actually right now running a mindfulness-based relapse prevention group out of the poly clinic which is this uh big hospital up in Seattle for young adults Um, and then young adults uh, it's it's actually pretty diverse the the group of people um I think the youngest person that we have in the group is like I want to say like 24 25 so still in that young adult range um and then the oldest person uh she was in her uh, Mid sixties. So. Wow, wow, that's a big cross section. That's yeah. like a Los Encinas cross section. Yeah, that's what we used to. Yeah, have. that's like a yeah. psych hospital. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a primary care hospital, and it, it just so happens that behavioral health is co-located within the hospital, which ends up being this really neat thing because people who probably otherwise wouldn't go to get mental health treatment now have access to it because it's it's much more normalized Obama, you know well right. Obamacare too kind of fixes are you going to get uh, LCSW yeah. license yeah yeah Fantastic. ultimately that's the goal yeah. and so then when you get that what I'm saying is most people I know that are getting those things mm-hmm. they either want to be with work with children adolescents addicts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a big thing. They don't necessarily want to deal with them, but there's big money in dealing with baby boomers, mm-hmm. elderly, mm-hmm. you yeah. know this? So people are going into careers with a either a codependent nature of who they want to rescue and save <laughs> yeah. or a yeah. selfish nature of where they can make money. Oh, jeez. Yeah. 
Yeah. Drew, Drew likes the naughtier. <laughs> uh, like Dude, I deal with them all the time. They're interns yeah. at Acadia. Great. Yeah. And a yeah. lot of people want to get involved with children. I just say it really takes a fucking tough soul yeah. to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that I could deal with um, kids. I mean, I have I have a lot of my colleagues are working in CPS mm. and um, it, the stories that they tell. I just, Unbelievable. Yeah. My Unbelievable. heart breaks. Yeah, I, I don't know that. I, I mean, I have really solid boundaries and I don't know that I have that sort of emotional bandwidth to handle yeah. um, that sort of like. I don't know if I could handle that sort of secondary trauma. Yeah. To um, thine own I'm self be true. That's a wise girl. Yeah. 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 And then when it comes to working with specific populations, I mean, you know, like I mentioned with the focus and mindfulness, I think it's really, it's, I, I really, I want to open myself to, diver, to very diverse populations. I am kind of digging on the idea of working with organizations and, and finding ways to integrate mindfulness work into the organization's culture. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so that so that people so, can find more happiness in their work environments and and start to create more separation between work and like personal life. It's a work life balance is so challenging, right? Hmm. I you know, I mean that was my biggest challenge in the adult life is that I just there was no work life balance, you know, yeah. it was all work and it just generalized to like this is my life. My life is my work. And so we, we just saw Amber yeah. Smith a little while ago, and uh, she was asking. How is she? She's doing amazing. She's actually doing amazing. Great. Yeah. She, too, wants to do a, sort of a deeper therapy and stuff. She's having a little yeah. trouble with some feelings of longing and some yeah. still going for intensity in her relationships a little bit. But it's way yeah. less. Way, 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 way less. Yeah. Uh, and and um, But she was asking about your relationships. About my relationships? Yeah. I mean, I got married. I mean, I did, <laughs> I, I did that. Um, I did that vow of celibacy thing. I took it super seriously. I you, you, so you did the sex addiction celibacy mm -hmm. treatment. You, yeah. did, you did a circle plan. Yep. I did yep. circle plan. I, I did, um, God, I think I did uh, like 10 months or so of celibacy. But when I finally did end up getting into a relationship, I mean, I remember when Jill said to me, she's like, well, you know, so generally people don't get into a relationship in their first year in recovery. And I was like, sweet, that's no problem. And then I, it took me like 10 minutes for it to set in that what she meant is that people don't have sex. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, 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 wait. Does that mean that's I can't not a have relationship? Sex? I'm just, I'm cracking up. I'm just, I just remember with Jenny, we should, we said these redirects, you'd count, you go one, two, three, one, three. Jenny was all talking, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, three. Exactly. Oh. So, I mean, there were all sorts of things that I realized as soon as I entered into like the, the rehab world. Like, it didn't occur. I don't know if I told you this, Drew, but it didn't occur to me that I wouldn't be allowed to drink in rehab because <laughs> I was going, I was, going <laughs> I was like, well, it's, it's sex rehab. Of course they'll let you drink. Like, you're not here for booze, right? <laughs> booze. They do on the surreal life. So, yeah. wait, wait, wait. I, I want to finish up. So, your relationships, so you, how did you get the ability to tolerate intimacy and be stable and that kind of stuff? How'd that go? You know, when I. When my when my husband and I got in our into our relationships, I was just I was very honest with him. I had this like moment of like crazy courageous vulnerability and said, "Listen, I am a horrible communicator, and it's something that I really want to work on." And he had, I think, probably the same sort of very courageous, brave moment and was like, "I too am a horrible communicator," you know. So so it 
just setting that sort of precedent in the very beginning of our relationship, we decided, we made the explicit intention to work on our communication skills. And so as the relationship has developed, you know, we've, we've continued um, to be really frank and honest about our feelings, but still try and um, share things in a way that isn't, isn't harmful or uh, derogatory or passive aggressive. I remember and, you waited a long time to have physical intimacy too, didn't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we had been dating for, I mean, we talked on the phone for like a month before we even went on a date. Mm. And then I think we were dating for like two months before we were physically intimate. So it, you know, the, the trajectory of, of easing into a relationship was really antithetical to what I was doing before you know before it was like sleep with somebody immediately figure out whether it's worth it to date them after that you know and this was like figure out if you like this person and then think about sleeping with them you know Um, shocking yeah what what does he do how did he take for the transition up there he's from la too he was um he was well originally he's a midwest guy he was working in la as a production person and um yeah, and, and so he he was trying to navigate this Hollywood space. I was kind of easing my way out of Hollywood and, and figuring out what it is that I want to do that's going to be sustainable and, uh, you know, provide joy for me. And um, in in our relationship, you know, I, I started going back to school and he kept working in Hollywood. And, and you know, the, the more that he dug into Hollywood, I think the more he realized that it, it wasn't really serving him in the way that he had idealized right as yeah. as a, a young man so when i got into university of washington's masters program oh, it's a pooch i know um, <laughs> <laughs> um when i got into university of washington's masters program he he was all about it his family is from bellingham which is just about oh, it's yeah. right there Close, yeah yeah exactly so he was like let's do it let's go let's follow this dream and he is I mean, now that I'm finishing the the kind of educational portion of my career development, he's really getting to dig into what he wants to do. And so he's actually, right now he's a bartender at the W Hotel, and he started working towards his, his uh, sommelier certification. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so he just How passed his first one. Is he going to be a master psalm? You seen that documentary? I know. He, yeah, I love it. And then they also have a. Are you, are you talking about uncorked? Are you talking no, about it's the psalm? It's called S O M M. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's actually one of the things that really inspired him. Was wow. Like, yeah. So. But it ends up being very funny because he's, uh, you know, so he's he's a bartender, and then I'm working kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum, and <laughs> and he'll, he'll with call the me people the like, next day in the yeah. psych ward. Yeah, so you'll be like, I, I, you know, there's a there's a woman, and I'm pretty sure that she's off her meds, and she wants beer, and I'm like, babe, serve her a beer. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Let, <laughs> Don't worry get, about it. <laughs> which which brings up the uh, the cannabis issue. How's that going up there? Washington's changed its laws and stuff. Yeah, it's I, it's it's really interesting. Um, and there's, there's adolescent there's, psychosis in the hospital. There's, I mean, there's, there's just weed everywhere, you know, I, for, for lack of a better way to put it, it's like walking down the street, people, you know, you, you smell weed pretty much everywhere. Hallways, you smell weed, you complain to the, to the landlord and it's like, well, it's legal. And it's like, and I don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so but what about, what about adolescent 
uh, admits to the psych hospital? Is it gone up? Do they see kids coming in? Like we used to see it at Los Encinas. They're like paralyzed because they're like 14. They just smoke this high potency THC pot and they didn't know what they were doing. That's what we saw. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, kids in the Seattle and Washington area are um, messing around with some some pretty heavy drugs and, and pot is really kind of the least of of their worries up here really? you know it, yeah it's, what it's do you more mostly about, pills? Um, a lot of yeah a lot yeah. of pills a lot of heroin yeah. a lot of um, yeah so a lot of oxy and a lot yeah. of heroin is Jesus. like pretty much at 14 it's awful yeah yeah oh my awful. god yeah it's it's really really bad and there's been the uh some some sightings of this new drug crocodile oh yeah, yeah. is that up there now Ugh. yeah so pretty gnarly yeah the stimulants yeah, I, are they big uh, the stimulants for yeah. the kids. It's it's mo- interestingly it's mostly depressants. Huh. Yeah. So pain. What, it's a pain. The trauma stuff. Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive. And the weather. The weather. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't. I would. I would want a stimulant. I mean, if right. I was going to use something in right. shitty weather, it's going right. to be. You know. That's what I would think. That's why I think trauma. The trauma is the opiate drug. I mean, yeah. When people have yeah. pain. They're carrying pain around. That's they're trying to escape it. That's opiates. Yeah. yeah. There's so much depression up there. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, there there really is. It's it's pretty it's pretty scary. We have a really high suicide rate up here, and um, yeah. Well, now, now that you're deep into the professional uh, experience, you know, as a, as a mental health professional, what are your concerns? What do you see? What does the landscape look like? Because we're old timers. We're start, we're starting to sound like crotchety old men. We're so worried, yeah. we're worried about everything. But when, I'm back it, to the basics. Get a goddamn job. Well, well, right, right. That we're seeing we're seeing a lot of real primitive. Dysfunction. Primitive, like they're primitive, can't function in the world, can't work or won't work, or and yeah. can't have relationships. These are the sort of things that they're concerning us now. Yeah, like like are you, are you talking about like a lot of like failure to launch type yes, of stuff? Yes, yes. But the failure, failure to function, I call it not just launch. Failure to have social networks, failure to have interpersonal relationships, failure to have even hope of a job I mean, or a Bob, separate Bob will say life. things like, you know, don't you, what, what inspires you? What do you yeah, want to do? Why don't you go to Costa Rica? And, and they're and, like, why would I go there? They go, they go, they, <laughs> the, the scariest thing they say to Bob now is, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I would get on your old timer bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, I really so see the know. Great Northwest doesn't have that. They have high suicide. They have depression. No, she's saying they yes. Take, she's saying the same thing. But are they up there, those kids? Because I well, think the Great Northwest has this tough ass psyche to it that, like, you'll survive. You don't see that. Um, you know, well, the population that I work with is is I think it's kind of different. So it's really hard for me to make a sort of. Like, I'm thinking a, of a musicians I know from up there. You know what yeah. I mean. They're, yeah. they're like hard asses. They're tough. They live in the snow. They fucking don't give a fuck. They hate, yeah, L- they hate L.A. People in Seattle hate L.A. more than any people in this country. When I go there, people yeah. don't even talk to you. Yeah. That's, that's actually called the Seattle freeze. And that is just, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a legitimate phenomena. And I, I think it's probably, if it has a Wikipedia page, it would not surprise me. Um, but no, that's that's actually a real thing, and that happens to anybody who comes in from the outside. Unfortunately, that's it's like actually a real like I have experienced the Seattle freeze, and I'm I still experience it. And I've been here for like two and a half 
two and a half years. So. But you but you do see the same phenomena Bob's talking about, though. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I so I I'm also a writing tutor at the University of Washington, and I work with a lot of um, uh, undergraduate students as as well as students in the master's program, and you know, so I'm seeing a lot of students who who are really just kind of like I don't I don't know I don't know what I want. So I, I see it. And in they're the in the University of Washington. Yeah. It's amazing to me. Yeah. yeah. I knew what I wanted since I was 11. Really? Yeah. I want to live life. I want to seize life by the throat and go there, live it. There I want to meet people. A, a, I want to go do things. The, things are rad. There was a, the universe is rad. Well, there was a desire. There was a desire, really intense desire to get out as as howard stern said he, he tunneled out of his parents house and i thought that's what i felt i felt like i was tunneling out like i can't yeah. fucking get out of here fast enough yeah 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 and go and go see things you know something that comes up a lot you know we're talking about also as you're aging and what you want in life and all that i don't really want to go anywhere because i found the places that i like to be yeah. You know what I mean? Kids are but saying you that. Have to, I, I, am, saying that, yeah. I like Joshua Tree. I like the escape of the intensity of L.A. Yeah. for about 48 hours, and then I like this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I figured it out. I've been everywhere, yeah. and I've lived yeah. in a lot of places, and that's what yeah. life as an, a young adult is, to go figure out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, fi- and they're not, they don't have that passion, and that no, frustrates I, I, me. You know what? You know what? I honestly think one of the biggest problems is, and probably a really big contributing factor is, is um, like internet addiction and time yep. spent online. Because yep. it's like you know, that wasn't an issue when you were younger. You actually had to leave your parents' house to see what the world looks like, and now you have everything at your fingertips. Right. And so you get this sort of like this false sense that you've been everywhere. I can look at the Eiffel Tower, I can go to like all of the seven wonders of the world in the next five seconds and I don't have to leave my living room, right? And so there's this That's weird, right? false sense that you actually get to experience life because you have Jesus. all of this stuff in your fingers. And the reality is, is that the more time you spend in your phone, the less time and the less courage you're going to have to actually spend out in the real world because now, you could face rejection there. Are right? these your observations or is this a, an object of conversation in, the, in your program? So it's it's definitely a little bit of both, right? Yeah. So in, in, in my practice at Poly Clinic, a lot of my work is bringing people out of their technological out wow. of their technology and like starting to live in the world. That's what a lot of my mindfulness practices is. Well, I was going to say, it's no wonder you, you're, you're attracted to mindfulness. It's really just getting yeah. people back in their body. Yeah. You know, yeah, back absolutely. connected to themselves. Forget other yeah. people. See, I'm, yeah. it's funny. Bob and I are all about connecting to other people that we yeah. forget. They got to be connected to their own body first. Yeah. 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 It's like, wow. When you just said that, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I want to inspire and be inspired and have these relationships I've had with so many thousands of people through the decades. Yeah. And I'm trying to have them with these 20 year olds and they don't know how to have them. Yeah. 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 Because they don't have one with themselves. And yep. so they're, they're, they're really lacking this sort of... So maybe our parents didn't do so bad. We had some fine. sort of sense of self. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, but to be fair, if, if these kids were hit with what we were hit with and the internet, <laughs> we would be totally <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> That's why. Jenny, you were growing up when? In the 90s? Uh, yeah, I was born in 83. So yeah. through the... Yeah, in the 90s. Because I, I, her story is very vivid to me. And if you ever heard, do you ever hear her story with how her mom used to leave her with her brother and 
Do you know this part? Oh, yeah. That happens a lot. When no, I heard I know. that, I, 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 that happened to a lot of kids in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Leaving yeah. seven-year-olds with the nine-year-old to watch them all day. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Give them 20 bucks and they'll figure out dinner on their own. My, my little sister was raised like that. Ooh. Yeah. She would go to 7-Eleven to get my sister mom cigarettes when she was like seven. Jeez. Yeah. It, cre- it creates this really weird dynamic then as you and your siblings grow into adults because I've had to do a lot of like renegotiating with both of my siblings around like I can't be mom anymore. I oh, I, you like, were the oldest? I thought you were younger. Yeah. No, no, I only remember your brother. Who's the other sibling? Um, so I also have a little sister. She is five years younger than me, and then my brother's seven years younger. Your brother's in the Marines, right? He was. He is no longer. He was uh, honorably discharged. He actually ended up going to rehab and getting sober, too. Oh, so. my gosh. Very cool. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Yeah. So you were, what, what age did your mom say, well, Jenny, you're old enough to take care of the, the, your sister and brother. So yeah. at what age was that? Well, so it was it was less like you're old enough to take care of your sister and brother and it was more like I'm divorcing your dad, you're going to do the parenting while I go and do I mean my mom had some pretty has some pretty substantial alcohol mm. um and you know, it issues to say to say the so, least. So but but re go back to that first couple of times. So she's going out to drink. Yeah. You're how old? Nine, eight, seven? Like uh 10? well so 12, I think, 12, 12, 13 was when the responsibility of child rearing really became... Getting them up in the morning, getting them to school, all that. Well, she would she would take us to school, but it it was always a drop off after school. And then she would leave again until very, very late at night. And then, you know, the, the what happened between the time we got dropped off and the time she would come home would be all... You were in charge. Yeah. And yeah. dinner and all that. Yeah, I mean, if you if you could call, I, it, it's dinner. I'm not going to downplay popcorn. Popcorn. Yeah, I mean, walk to Burger King and whatever you can get for twenty bucks. I'm telling you, that was a lot of people of that generation's yeah. story. That's my yeah. little sister's story. Yeah, Sheesh. she used yeah. to get herself up in the morning at like eight and make her own breakfast and walk to school. My mom'd yep. still be in bed. Yeah, yeah. It was just accepted, Drew. It was worse than the seventies. I I uh, remember some of that. It was called Latchkey Kids. Yeah, the Latchkey thing was a big. You were a Latchkey number. kid. Yeah, it's still called Latchkey. But is it still going on? I, I don't think the parents are going anywhere anymore. I think they just. Well, I think stay CPS in the house. gets going quicker. I I think it's probably still going on quite a bit more than we would expect. It's just it's just being talked about. I I think there's also this phenomena where parents have stopped really like. Before you, you give the kids, you know, the older sibling raises the kids, right? Yeah. Or what, whatever that dynamic is. Now you give them an iPad and then the iPad raises the kids, right? right? So there's, there's still this really giant disconnect. Parents on the phone the whole time. Now the kids are on the phone the whole time. And so everybody's just kind of, you know, um, sedated and, and, and not really participatory and, and dealing with the normal interactions of, I love oh this God. dog. I think the dog place. has to pee. Does it have no, to pee? No, he wants attention. He's just. I was him. giving him attention. Everything's He's about him. Everything's about him. Come here, Ray. Come here. Say hi to Come him. On, Come, Come on, buddy. Hi, puppy. Do you see him? Come on. Oh, what a pooch. Come on. Oh, now he's going to be. Up. Up. Hi, puppy. Come here. Okay. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. It's distracting. So sweet. But now, having reared your brothers and sisters as you did, I've noticed that some people that go through that then become aversive to having children for themselves. Have you had that experience? Are you? Well, I didn't want I didn't want kids for a long time, yeah. and I think that probably played into it. But you know, I I was also pretty self-destructive and so the idea that I could raise anybody let alone myself was just kind of not realistic at that time now I, I definitely want kids and oh, good and we, we plan on having kids it's just a matter of when when yeah. yeah exactly and and just about to you know get the degree and be able to actually practice and, and have a career I'd like to do a little bit of that before totally making a human are you coming back down here you're gonna stay up there I think we're going to stay up here. I think we're going to stay up here. I mean, my dad is down by Portland, which is just about three hours south of us. And then, uh, you know, his parents are up in Bellingham, an hour and a half north. And my sister's living down with my dad. I think my brother's moving back with my dad. Have you reconciled with your dad? I have. Oh, yeah. We're we're very close. Wow. We're very close. Crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, it is wild. And then I don't talk to my mom anymore. Okay, so that's an interesting journey. So when you were a kid, you thought your dad abandoned you, this motherfucker, and at least she's here. She's a fuck up, but at least she's here, though she's not raising you. And the full circle is to realize there's reasons why marriages fall apart and da-da-da and start to have forgiveness for everybody. The alcoholic mother, him... Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what we talk about a lot. It's not yeah. forgiveness in that quaint way, wrap it up, tie it up in a bow, but to understand yeah. mind, mindfulness of what they were, why they ended up traumatizing you because they're trauma survivors and this, we got to break these chains that bind. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I look back and I, I don't know that I ever felt that my dad abandoned me. I mean, there were, there were, I think what ended up happening, and I and I kind of knew this at the time, but you know, my mom always shared far more information with us about their divorce and about my father's behaviors in their divorce, um, far more information than is appropriate to share with young kids, you know. And so, what what I think happened is that I got I got mad at my dad about stuff that he was doing in the divorce, and you know, the guy's hurt. And so, Bob, I totally agree with yeah. you, and like being able to look back and be like, oh, you were, you were doing that because you were hurt. But I never felt like he abandoned me, you know. In, in reality, I knew my mom left my dad and mm. he was reacting in pain. And I think she was, a, for me, a more, a more safe place to be emotionally than to, to face the loss of identifying with my dad. Because if I were to take sides with my dad, then I would have to experience that hurt of the family breaking apart, right? Whereas if I take sides with my mom, I get to leave and I get to be the one that decides. And you know, I mean, there's a lot of other unhealthy things there. But, you know, when, when my dad and I finally, when, let me What did he that. say? What did he say the first time you talked about it? Well, so I, I didn't talk to him for about, uh, I actually just started talking to him the year that I that I went into rehab. That was um, I hadn't talked to him for a, a good like I don't know I want to say between like twelve and eight years, eight to twelve years. I didn't talk to him, just not in his life. And then, you know, when I I, I called him on New Year's, um, the beginning of two thousand nine, and said, you know, I, I want to I want to work on this relationship, and that was really a, a turning point. And he was he said, you know what? we'll just keep talking to each other. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to say anything. We'll just keep making the phone and phone call and, and picking up the phone. And that was really 
a key turning point for both of us. And then I made amends to him, you know, and, and my amends to my dad wasn't like, I forgive you for, um, being human. It was like, I'm sorry that I cut you out of, out of my life for so long, you know, cause that's really what it was. Mm-hmm. That's a true amends. Did you, you understand it? what she was saying? A lot of twelve-step amends are, you know, I'm sorry I was, neg- you know, resented no. you. Right, That's right. not really an amend. Or I'm sorry you pissed me off. Yeah, I'm sorry that <laughs> you're such an asshole <laughs> yeah, that right. I had to yeah. remove right. you yeah. from my right. life. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I try to tell people that all the time. Like, who, you know, I learned it doing them myself. When if yeah. I had a amends go terribly wrong, when the person told me to fuck off, <laughs> right. So then I go back to my sponsor and he said, well, you did your part. And that just didn't feel complete enough. And I was talking to another 12-step friend of mine. And he goes, what's the principle you're trying to learn in the ninth step? And I yeah. said, forgiveness. And he goes, forgiveness yeah. of who? Yeah, yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. rather than to be forgiven or to forgive, you know, to forgive others as they trespass against us. That we're all this. That's kind of the theme that Drew and I have been talking about through this whole podcast is, listen, mm-hmm. they, trauma begets trauma causes trauma it causes trauma yep. it's yeah. the responsibility of the adult with insight to heal as best you can yourself and stop the cycle of trauma on your yeah. children and so yeah. for you to make this decision yeah when i'm whole when i'm stable I, when i'm then have I my career yeah. and i can take care of i want a family that's yeah. how you break it yeah yep yeah it's hard though it's a lot of work yeah it's it's taken quite a bit of work i mean unfortunately you know uh, John Irwin and VH1 paid for a lot of the work that I got good. for a That's little good. bit. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah I know people don't yeah. take that. People, I tell, keep telling VH1 they need to take their hat, bow, you know, tip their hat for that because they paid for a lot of people's treatment well yeah. beyond the, the cameras rolling. Paid for Amber's mom's treatment. Did they yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. I, her I, her medical treatment. Yeah, and treatment. so much. So, yeah. you know, that was... That was, I think it was Irwin's inability to like say, yeah, you, you, you've done really that was something not, really nice, John. That was not what? Irwin. That was the VH1. That was VH1. Really? Yeah. That was VH1. But I thought he had to fight for it. No, I had to fight for it. <laughs> I got news for it. I was yeah. the one. I was the one before anything started. I said, you've got to put this aside for aftercare, period. Yeah. And and the problem yeah. was not everyone was willing to do it. And that's where yeah. That's where bad shit happens, you know. Yeah. Or well, they, fortunately, they didn't do it, and I got to use up all of those funds. Well, guess <laughs> what? No, but this is something important for the public to know. Guess who didn't come to the aftercare provided to them? Ooh. Mindy McCready, Rodney really? King, yeah. Jeff. Right. Jeff. Oh, well, Jeff went right back to his doctors. That do you understand? I'm telling you, the people that yeah. failed and died never yeah. came to Hollywood uh, 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 Recovery Center. Not one time. Yeah. I know. I, yeah. I'm not saying that me and Shelly or, or you or cures are going to help, but it was just in the willingness to even come and hang out. Eric Roberts did for months. Yep. Jason yep. Davis even did for months. And so did. Yeah. Um, and they're not dead. No, I know. But the people who didn't want anything to do with anything Dr- after the show Drewby, i can't believe you know he's done okay yeah he talks to me yeah. still you know what i'm saying and that's what america needs to know aftercare is the whole trick of it maintenance yeah. and care and self-care yeah. well, that's the whole growth. trick of it Un- ongoing care yeah. Yeah. I, I went for three years after the show you know i just kept showing up at dr reeves and showing up at jill's and doing whatever they said because everything I did made my life better. Like everything they recommended and, to me. And by the way, they were ta- they were asking you to do a lot. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, there was uh, there was one, and and Doctor Reef is really skilled at this. He's really skilled at saying something that is so innocuous, and you you just you don't think anything of it at the time. And I remember one time he asked me, you know, do you think that your experience in the adult business was authentic? And I was like, of course it is. You know, <laughs> everything is about me is authentic. You know? and then two weeks later, I'm like, oh my god, like I this is really what it is. Is this whole like coming out into authenticity and so you know these really skilled um practitioners targeted those targeted moments yeah 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 who who present you know the the work in that short period of time but then it it really is the patient who has to go home and do the work well he's pointing out the false sense of self right you think that's you but he's just saying hey maybe that's not you are you sure that's you yeah sure that's the genuine you who is you yeah. And I remember I, my I, therapist yeah. just asked me once, um, I, I was sort of like rambling on. I went, I don't know why you're sitting here listening to me. I don't know what you get out of this. She goes, what do you think I get out of this? Nice. And I was like, ah. whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Wow. <laughs> yes. She was like, yeah. came in perfect timing. She's like, zoom, right in me. I was like, Roland Kim said the Fuck. same thing to me. I, I was talking about myself, like, everybody loves me and everybody, you know, I'm the greatest guy and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, and that's, uh, and it's, and it's like, it's not me. And he goes, that's not how I see you. <laughs> and I went, well, how do you see me? He goes, you have severe depression dysthymia <laughs> i don't see up. you as happy <laughs> and i was like everybody sees me as happy what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> why don't you see me as happy <laughs> that's rapport that's a wonderful like yeah. that is well-built rapport but the way but it was crushing that he saw the real me mm-hmm. yeah depressive suicidal like well, but always getting that's the, 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 nobody all three of us all three of us told stories about being seen yeah. yeah. Right. Those yeah. are all three stories about somebody seeing us. But I thought and he that's was what therapy really is. a happy guy that's kind of a little I, I, neurotic. I, you can't. You still can't <laughs> let it go. You're still. You're still <laughs> fucked up about it. Was it was so spot on. <laughs> but being genuinely, authentically seen is yeah. what we're all talking about. Yeah. And also doing the work outside of therapy. You don't just go to therapy for 45 minutes a week and then you know, for eight weeks or whatever, you don't just go to rehab for 21 days and then your life is magically better. It's like, like Bob was saying, it's an issue of maintenance. You have to keep doing the work once you leave. Otherwise, none of it, none of it matters. That's right. There's two aspects of maintenance, maintenance of the work and then maintenance of change. The thing that, that happened is you, it's a, a constant moving target. So you can do a relationship well for three or four years or two or three years and you're doing all the things maintenance wise. And as soon as you think you've got it made or you really have insight and you're not attentive or not changing or not paying attention even, yeah. it all just somehow I'll just force it back to be the every relationship I've ever had and that's what I just went through a divorce last year and it was horrible and sad and sad for my son and but yeah. I recognize that I just thought I was so much so well which maybe I was for a couple of years and then I just let the foot off the gas and just yeah. back to back to the natural default setting that you ever see that David Foster Wallace lecture called this is water about a Mm-mm. default setting. You should watch it. It's my favorite thing. It's like he talks about we all have this default setting, which I think is the 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 tendency we have or the personas we create through trauma. So we have a mm. default setting, either people pleaser or 
world's critic or emotionally unavailable. Yeah. We just have these default settings and we'll go back to them no matter how far you think you've come. They're so ingrained in us. Mm. You know, that's what was my experience. I, you know what I, I think the common misperception is, is that, you know, I think what, what you really touched on, Bob, and, and I'm so sorry that you've been going through a really hard time and, and I imagine divorce is probably one of the hardest things um, with to a go kid, through it. it's and hard. Think, I've done it you know, without a kid, and it's it's painful. But it's yeah. But Different. with a kid, it's like like nothing else. But but now I can yeah. look back on where I just I just went back to my old tendencies, which is I'm okay and everything's okay. Now then, now that you're now that you're living outside the house. When I look at when it started happening, ah. you know what I mean. There were some stumbling moments in the beginning, but then it really got good. Like we're on the same page, we're communicating, we're doing all these things. And then it's just like, okay, this is good. This is all right. Everything's fine. And just a, a not sticking with yeah. mindfulness of the relationship. Huh. Right? Huh. It was weird. It was yeah. almost like I yeah. was doing it right for the first time for a while. And then, okay, so it'll just continue going like this and I won't have to pay attention that much or ask how you're doing you know I, when you're in mindfulness like she's talking about this Roland thing when i'm coming home i don't i don't want to come home with traffic was fucked i just fucking yeah. dealt with a bunch of assholes all day long i need an hour to myself i come yeah. home and say hey how's everything going and i engage with elvis and her and be a family right mm -hmm. before i walk yeah. in the door yeah after two yeah. years of that you can just walk in the door and go i had a fucking fuck day and i need an hour to watch basketball for some reason it was weird i regressed yeah. back to my old self hmm. and i can see it now that i did that Huh. Well, I, yeah, here, here's the thing, and I, and I think it's probably what's so challenging about practicing mindfulness. So mindfulness is defined by John Kabat-Zinn, who's the father of like the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. He defines mindfulness as a, a particular way of paying attention, and that particular way is in the moment, intentionally, and non-judgmentally, right? So for us to be mindful of of any moment in our day, right? So say say you have... Like you have the shittiest day, right? You're in your head in that shitty day. You're somewhere else. You're thinking about all these other things. So then when you get home, you're in the past reviewing your shitty day, right? And mindfulness asks that you come in and yeah, you engage with your family, but you don't do it in a way that's like avoiding those feelings, right? right. You can say like, I am really hurting right now because you, you're mindful of that. You say, I am hurting. I had a hard day. And I'm, I'm just noticing that right now I'm in a lot of pain and, and I just need to be here with you or, or even to be alone, right? But to, to say like I need an hour to But Jenny, if I, if I can interrupt, you're also being mindful of how you're coming across, mindful yeah. of how you're being received, yeah. mindful of what their yeah. needs are in that moment yeah. and yeah. weighing all this out. I remember you... coming home after a hard day because all rehab days are kind of hard sometimes yeah, and saying I'm so glad to be home. Yeah. yeah, like that yeah. home was sacred and different. Sure, sure. and yeah. then it just started to become a complainathon, and I realized that Oof. it's very peculiar yeah. how we you can just justify things. anything. Well, I, I think we habituate to things, right? Like we we are we have uh, Teflon for positive things, and we are Velcro for negative things, right? So yes. when we have a crappy day, the crap just sticks to us. But little positive things that because for the most of the day is actually pretty neutral, right? Like. 
there's some big events and and some of them are really icky but for the most of the day it's just really neutral and all of that just falls off of us but these negative events really stick to us and that's the stuff that we go over and over and over and over and that's that's what they say that depression is is living in the past right and then they mm-hmm. say anxiety is living in the future and then the practice of mindfulness is about being right now so have you ever uh, heard of this thing called nonviolent communication yeah. Using inclusive language. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. the videos of the old psychiatrists that did that from the 70s? There's one good thing that came from the 70s, Drew. Ugh. Nonviolent communication. Cinema. Cinema using inclusive yeah. language. We, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of way of communicating, especially in a team. Mm. Yeah. Right? And, and say, well, you know, you reflect on all of us, so let's all stick together here. And kind of, and when you use that with addicts, they really let their guard down. Yeah, they really yeah. do because they don't feel like you're pointing fingers at them. You need to do this. You need to do that. Why? Yeah. You, why did you do this? Why did you do that? You're just like you know. Usually, when people when I used to do that, it was usually because blah blah blah. What? You know what because I mean? what? Well, kids relapsing all the time. It's oh. because because I didn't stick with it long enough. Well, mm-hmm. I have a lot of kids that are in the ninety day. They're about ninety days when they come to me, and then. At the six-month point, if they don't do a lot of mindfulness and 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 take it as serious as the first 90 days, they will screw up in that second 90 mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're not doing what's necessary for the second 90 days. They're just doing what's necessary for the first 90 days. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. understand? And you got to get in there and say, you know, I used to do this all the time. I'd do good for three or four months and everybody would get all the cash and prizes back or get everything back on track and gain everybody's trust back. And then I would just go get high. You. Yeah, that that sharing yeah. with them so that they don't feel attacked. Like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Da 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 da. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, Bob. I think you touch on something that's really amazing with with that inclusive language. And I think even more than making kids feel like they're not being judged, what it does is it 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 provides the connection that many of us who struggle with addiction are looking for in the first place. Right? Like that's why I used. Like yeah, checking out was great. That was great. But ultimately. All of my efforts to get high involved an, an, an attempt to connect with somebody else. Be, and I couldn't connect with myself, obviously, right? So when you're using this language, that's like, why are we doing this? You yes. know, it, it, it Why really, are we doing this? Why are it's we amazing. doing this? It Power brings in that. us together. Like the, the antidote for addiction isn't always like sobriety sometimes it's just connection right like sometimes we just want to know that we are actually a part of this thing all together well i always say connect to others connect to self yeah absolutely and i mean that's included in the dalai lama when when he heard self-compassion for the first time was like what do you mean compassion doesn't involve like being compassionate toward yourself and it's something that we really struggle with in in the western world you know the Dalai Lama, the favorite quote. I saw him speak at the at the Wilton Theater here in L.A. years ago, and somebody awesome. in the audience asked him, "What's wrong with the world?" You know, like some Brentwood <laughs> housewife, you know, Granger yeah. that came over to see the Dalai Lama. Hey, what's paralyzed. wrong with the world? <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with the world? Well, that's, that was the question from the audience, and yeah. he just he had a twinkle in his eye, and he was sitting there, and he said, "Lack of insight." Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Lack of insight that you asked that question. Right. Lack of insight. Into what, <laughs> what we're doing here, what's going on. It really answered the whole spectrum. Just Lack of insight. It's brilliant. 
So, well, we're kind of winding down. I, Jen, it's always, you know, you know how inspired I am by you. What a pleasure it is to see your progress. And it's exciting. And uh, just think the, the most of you and what you're doing. And uh, it, it for me, you know, Bob, not you, but you, one Jennifer can carry me through many, many troubling cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> there's always hope. Uh, and and particularly knowing that you came in with zero intention to get well, and yeah. just it, well, and just getting yeah. you into the because that's always what I've always felt is like if we could just get you in, we can do yeah. something. There's something you know? mysterious yeah. and magical that we'll never figure out. My intention, my first day sober, was I'm going to drink. I'm just not going to do drugs anymore. I haven't had a drink for 20 years. Yeah, but isn't you're, that weird? Well, you did you drink mis- after that, didn't you? No. I just remember your, my favorite story with you was going to AA with a six pack. Yeah, that was years before this. Okay, okay. No, my first day of sobriety <laughs> he went was coming to up, well, March sixteenth. But uh, I think the reason the alcohol stopped was that meeting. Tell tell Jenny what happened that meeting. Yeah, so I, I I was trying to hawk a watch somebody bought me, and this friend of mine said, "Well, I'll, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks for it if you go to an AA meeting with me." And I was like, "Fuck you! I'm not going to AA meeting. I want to go to the liquor store." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he goes, "I said I'll go to the AA meeting with you if you if you buy me a six pack of beer." And he said, "Okay." And so I drank yeah. the six pack of beer in the AA meeting. <laughs> Amazing. And nobody kicked me out. Nobody threw me away. And then as we're leaving after the meeting, everybody, like 200 people said, keep coming back, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and that got that cut through to you. It really it was. Cut, I, I, think I that's really why you remember. Got, if yeah. they would have thrown me out, I might have never come back. And yeah. I always try yeah. to tell people that. Like, we can't throw yeah. people out. If we're going to throw them out, we're just, just sentencing them to, to death. death. Possibly, yeah. 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 I mean, we all just want to be accepted, right? Yeah. It was funny, too. I was laughing. It, like, I, it hurt. When they were saying, keep coming back. Yeah. But it also, yeah. I was laughing because it was so cool. All right, my dear. Well, listen, good luck with you. We're here for you. Uh, thank you for being a part of this and being such inspiration. And uh, say hi to your husband for me. Yeah, thanks, Drew. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I say it enough, but I just am so grateful. Oh, awesome. Well, keep on keeping on. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. Keeping you, dearie. It's just an inspiration. Yeah. You're an inspiration. Uh, so don't even uh, just keep doing what you do. That's all awesome. you got. Oh, <sighs> thank you, Drew. All right, Jenny. Take care. Um, I, it's not a good time, but I, I will at some point have to tell you about this advocacy work that I'm doing with the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. All right. Hey, wait, wait. AIDS, by the way, is how I got involved in media. That's, uh, that's the very thing that put me in media I, because no one was talking to young people about it back in the day. And uh, really? that's why I got involved in radio. I don't know if you know yeah. that. Because I, I just thought, somebody's got to talk about this. I can't believe it. Yeah. Because yeah. In, in that, it was 82 or 83, young people weren't having sex. I don't know if you're aware, but they just were not. As far yeah, as I was. Public, as, I know. As part of the public discourse was, they were not. And so you wouldn't talk to young people about AIDS. Why? They're not having sex. I thought, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. This yeah. is, they need to know about this. And so that's that's I did that for 10 years. That's oh, wow. I, know that. so, I didn't know that. So, I, I, yeah, so I, I'm starting to do some advocacy work with the AIDS Healthcare Foundation around right. um, getting condoms required in pornography because it's it's no longer like a moral issue. It's like a workers' right issue, right? So Cal OSHA and all these other organizations are getting involved. And um, so I get to do like state level. Yeah, you have to go state to state. I've been I've been following that, and you have to go state to state because as California uh, yeah. insists on it, then they go to Nevada. You right. need Nevada. You need yeah. you need power. You need that kind of consensus. Hmm. That yeah. this is just this is just something that has to happen. All right, Jenny. Yeah. yeah, we're yeah. gonna run. We'll see you soon. 
Okay. okay. Bye, guys. Bye, bye. So Keeps you going, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a, there's hundreds of people like that. Thousands. Hundreds? Of, there's millions of them. By, by, no. In my heart, I believe but it. But that we've dealt with. Yeah. I saw so, Pam. Remember the woman, Pam, from the Los Encinas? She's sober seven years. Wow. I saw her at Trader Joe's the other day. I see all the people everywhere. Pam's you see thought, him, We thought she you? was going to die, right? Yeah, we yeah. for sure thought yeah. she was going to die. Um, well, listen, it, we we whine and cry about a lot of stuff we have a lot to be grateful for. So, yeah. And Jenny's one of those things. So There you go. Hey, and a reminder, everybody, uh, you can check out thislifepodcast.com. You can find the podcast there as well as at podbayfm.com. And a reminder, today's episode is courtesy of Rocky Mountain Treatment Center. Also, if you want to support it, please go to drdrew.com and click through on the Amazon banner. That helps us out, too. It doesn't cost you a thing, but keeps a little wind in the sails here. We'll see you next time. You my son, my your Cause it feels like we can live without each other Is it this life or the one before? I feel tired of you in ways I can't ignore Keep wondering but I want to know for sure Illuminator So